Are you ready to get out of your head and into the heart? Into the heart space, an intentional space for deep diving, heartfelt conversations, spiritual discussion, and conscious raising content. I'm Kelly Keith, and I'm so grateful to be here creating with you all. So let's get cozy into our hearts and rise together once again. listeners, I'm so grateful to be sitting here with today's guest, um, a friend, a teacher, um, a wonderful being here on this earth, uh, Bruce Cryer. Bruce Cryer has had a career spanning musical theater, biotech, personal development, health, well-being, and executive coaching. He began as a singer, dancer, and actor on Broadway, including two years in The Fanatics and the world's longest running musical. He was a co-creator in the acclaimed HeartMath system and later CEO. Bruce has worked with leaders at Stanford University, Mayo Clinic, Kaiser, NASA, Unilever, Shell, Cisco, Dropbox, and many other public and private organizations on four continents. Bruce is also co-author of From Chaos to Coherence, The Power to Change Performance, and the Harvard Business Review article, Pull the Plug on Stress. Since 1997, Bruce has been adjunct professor at Stanford University. A two-year health crisis convinced him to focus his energies on healing and creativity. He recently released Renaissance Human, an album of original songs. Bruce currently mentors leaders and visionary entrepreneurs, gives keynote performances, and teaches a course he developed on the connection between creativity and well-being at Stanford. He performs regularly now in New York. Uh, hey, Bruce. Hey, Kelly. Thanks How for being here. <laughs> oh, that bio. So good. How's it, I'm curious, how does that feel to like hear back like your bio, and that's just a condensed version? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, the bio, the long version, which that seems long enough, but there's a very long version that's very corporate because I spent so many years doing work for corporations, for healthcare systems, all through Hotman. And so it kind of featured that part of my life. And so I think it's funny it's because now I feel like I'm, I'm a much more casual person. And you know, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've been, you know, we've hung out together. I'm a much more casual person than that sounds. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I, I sort of laugh about, yeah, all that stuff about Stanford's true, yeah, Harvard's true, yeah, NASA's true, but, but I'm, I was always the casual guy. I was always the non-Stanford professor looking guy. <laughs> The non-Harvard, typical Harvard writer guy, yeah. So, um, as you can tell from my language, too. So, but it is fun. I mean, it's, it's on the other hand, it's it's fun to kind of hear that there has been a lot of impact, mm-hmm. um, not just names of places that I've been, but impact in in people's lives, and mm-hmm. that's something I'm very proud of, and uh, gives me a great deal of fulfillment. Now, even as I'm in my next chapter of creating more impact in more people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And I know this conversation and is going to evolve extensively as you're an embodiment of that, um, but perhaps you could just give a bit of a nutshell of like your journey of how you've gotten to where you are right now and how it all began of you living from the heart and really moving through into the heart space. 
Yeah, well, I was very fortunate in being raised in a very loving household of mm -hmm. two parents who, during the Second World War, realized they were both pacifists, were against all war. Mm -hmm. So growing up in the 60s when the Vietnam conflict was a major issue for my generation, we were the millennials <laughs> of, of that era, and we were very strongly against war and very pro-civil rights, which was still even a new law in 1964. And, and social justice. So I grew up living, trying to embody those values. Uh, getting into music and getting into Broadway was like, how did this happen? <laughs> not at all where I thought my life was going. I was not a theater kid. I was kind of musical. Um, but play trumpet and stuff. But that was like just a thing I did. It wasn't like a major focus. Like some of my friends were serious pianists or serious violinists. I find myself in the longest running musical in the world. Uh, it's called The Fantastics, by the way, although The Fanatics is an interesting, actually an interesting <laughs> version of it. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> that's, that's quite a the Fantastics. It was fun to even be in a show with that name. <laughs> and it sounds like an Avengers movie. But, um, but my path continued because I realized after about five years of a very rich career in musical theater mainly. I did some TV commercials and a few small films, but live theater was what I loved because I loved the live interaction. I loved the spontaneity of spontaneity of being alive. And you know, something happens in the theater and you work with it. You know, mm -hmm. Something happens on stage and you work with it and it's very alive. At least you hope that it is. And I, I loved all that, but at a certain point, what I had been raised with and what my, I thought my track was going to have been, which was more about serving the world and expanding myself and growing myself, became the overwhelming need again. I thought, and when I'm off stage, I'm not thinking about the next show. I'm thinking about the next book to read and the next uh, workshop to take and the yoga class that I was doing and the uh, and how the seeds doing that I'm sprouting for all the different things that I'm eating because I was a raw food vegetarian at the time, <laughs> living in Manhattan on the Upper West Side and, uh, in the 70s. And so that's kind of where my energy went, and of course that starts to sound an awful lot like California might be the next stop on your journey, and sure enough, so my girlfriend and I made the migration out there, and she was a very successful actress herself. And that's when the kind of full-on into everything I could do to grow personally and spiritually, and in terms of health, really understanding physical health. Uh, so all those dimensions were of interest to me, and, and so many things that kind of led me along those, that path, and then as you saw, as you read in the bio, when I got hit with a couple of major illnesses, um, kind of back-to-back -back in a series of events that were very challenging, it kind of shook me, like a series of wake-up calls, like the alarm kept going off, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would turn it off and then something else would pop up and then come back on, you know, it's it like, okay, this is, it, it's one wake-up call you could maybe write off as something, but when it's three or four, that's another story. And it was clear that a, a significant change in life needed to occur and I needed to step away from a lot of the responsibilities I'd had. Number one, focus on healing and focus on kind of what's the next phase for me, which led to embracing that I am a creative being and I need to be in a creative process as well as business and how does that all integrate. Which let me start singing again, and then I discovered even after double hip replacement that I could dance again, which was an amazing gift that my body was actually capable of dancing again. I was like, oh my god, I didn't, I didn't even dare hope for that, and then I'm getting it. Wow, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, man, 
second chance time because the word life threatening was thrown around several times mm -hmm. in my journey. So that's sobering, right? When you hear that kind of thing. So anyhow, the, the journey continued, and the you know kind of once the genie's out of the bottle, <laughs> you can't put her back in. Mm -hmm. In terms of the creative juice okay. that I was re-experiencing, thanks to singing again and thanks to dancing again, and that turned into clients saying, instead of you just doing a talk, how about you sing and talk? Wouldn't that be cool? And I, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So that developed and, and uh, leading me eventually to decide to come back to New York, create this concept, which we'll talk more about, I'm sure, on this Renaissance Human Idea, which was the, also the name of the album that I was asked to do by these amazing musicians. So a lot of things. But now it feels like my life is the most integrated it's ever been because I, I love business. I love mentoring leaders. I have a couple of clients now that I just love these guys. They both run healthcare companies, very visionary, very spiritual very much trying to make an impact in the world. And I love being able to mentor from the life experience that I've gained, professional experience. But if I'm not singing on a regular basis, if I'm not moving and dancing, if I'm not doing creative things, all the mentoring in the world wouldn't make my heart sing. Mm. I, need, I, need, I need to have multiple ways, methods of expression. So that's, that's as short as I can do of covering about many decades of life. Yeah, that's impressive. The I'm so impressed of the the shortening of that and all the amazingness. An incredible job. <laughs> I have to remember that because it's I have a lot of really interesting stories in my life and I keep being reminded of this when I tell somebody some story and they think, Oh my god, that's amazing. I say, yeah, I actually have quite a few amazing stories and I have to shorten them sometimes. <laughs> they are interesting. And I'm curious like, with that of you know Continuously, you know, being in this state of attracting in this caliber of service and like a value and just incredible experiences and people. I'm curious of, is there any particular mindsets or like belief systems that you really have had to dial into and like you consistently are reminding yourself to attract those things? Or is that more just, it's been an effortless flow for you in your life? Great question. Deep question. Um, you know, I, to be honest, I have spent much of my life being surprised by the opportunities that I was being presented. Mm. Getting into musical theater, being a kind of small star in a major show in New York, as I said, I was not a theater kid. I, I, in my senior year in high school, I decided being in the chorus looked kind of fun because they had hired a new vocal music teacher and he was doing really cool shows. I was a trumpet player, so I was playing in the orchestra while my friends were up on stage singing and dancing and doing cool stuff. And I, after playing for several of these shows, I thought, there's kind of fun up there. <laughs> Might be more fun up there than down here in the orchestra. And I asked the guy if I could join the chorus, and he said, yep, just sign up. And he already knew a little bit about my music, that I was pretty musical. I was pretty musically talented as a trumpet player, but that's way different than dancing or singing. He checked me out the next year, my senior year, and after a couple months, he kind of worked with me and gave me some songs to sing. And I thought he was just working with me because that's one of the new guys. He said, takes me to the back of the school auditorium and says, "Everybody wants to know what the big show is going to be this year, and I'm not telling anybody yet, but I'm going to tell you." And I thought, "Okay." <laughs> and um, it's a show called Carousel. I had no idea what that was. Any of your listeners who know Broadway, that's a huge show, one of the most famous Broadway shows back in the 50s. And it was a big, big show. Luckily, I didn't know that. And he said, and you're going to play the lead. 
Luckily, I did not know that that was one of the biggest roles ever written for a male lead on in Broadway. Wow. I did I did not know that, so that was really good. <laughs> so I was like, okay, sure. So that's kind of there's been so many things in my life kind of like that where I didn't aspire to something consciously. In in retrospect, I know it was all part of the design of my life journey, but mine was kind of like keep being surprised and keep being delighted by the things that like hang out here. Wow, this is amazing. And it was the same with HeartMath. I mean, when you know, fast forward 20 years, which is when HeartMath was starting after I left New York, um, I was definitely in a in a vibe of being a man of the heart as much as I could and trying to live a, a, a life of meaning and life of purpose and a life of love and trying to be a model for others. But it was a bit all over the place. I didn't have a real strong focus for that. And when I met the guy who was going to become the founder of HeartMath, was very drawn to what he was talking about. I said, God, this sure feels right. Take the next step. And then he says, you know, would you like to be part of the original, you know, the core team? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I hadn't had in my mind a conscious I want to attract that kind of thing. I was just living and trying to be of service you know, as, as best I could and live a good life and kind of had a, a certain trust that things would unfold in the proper way. So I wasn't thinking about it trying to attract specifically. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, well, you know, when we, when we met, it was just fun how we met at the, uh, at the event at the assemblage, mm-hmm. and you came up to me, and it's like, wow, this is fun. You're a bright, smart, fun person. It's just, let's, let's connect, let's talk. That's awesome. I love people like that. So um, I, I tend to be very open to life experience like that instead of a lot of people are kind of like, ooh, skeptical or, a little guarded, a little resistant, I tend to be fairly open. Sometimes that's you know, too open, but <laughs> a lot of times it serves me well because opportunities and connections and friendships develop that I would not have happened had I not just been open. Mm. I have a disproportionate number of friends who are half my age mm. because people come up to me and, oh, you're really interesting. You have an interesting story. So were you. <laughs> what do you know? The inter- interesting. The interesting in me sees the interesting in you. Um, totally. Yeah, I love that. And it's, um, it's fun to see, especially while I'm traveling. Um, you know, it's the the mecca of the scene open to who I meet and seeing the flow. And it's fun. Um, I can see in solo episodes coming up, I'll be sharing some updates. But I've been getting pulled into the musical world um, a bit here on the path and different people being like, oh, let's create music together. Oh, let's compose a song. Let's do it. And so it's fun to continue to just say, all right, I see where this is leading, kind of, and just staying open and being playful in it. Um, especially we've had the conversations of the power of creativity and how important it is, and as projectors in human design. Um, for those who don't know human design, you can check out the episode with Tina Schellenberger. We go deeper into human design um, and kind of go into that wormhole. There's so much here for, for us to talk about in in this. I don't want to go in there, but go check out that episode. I don't know the episode number, but you can check out with Tina. Um, and for those who don't know the Heart Math Institute, um, I'd love to talk a bit of just what it is and then the experience. It's great. Um, one, I share the HeartMath Institute with people all the time. It's just a good resource of actual scientific, you know, research on the brilliance of the new world. And I was doing 
uh, show notes for the episode with Dr. David James earlier today. And we did the recording a while ago. And I think three times he was like, Heart Math Institute. You need to put it in the show notes. It's such an amazing source. And I was like, oh, how fitting and synchronistic that we're going to be doing this conversation today. Um, so, you know, it's such an amazing creation in this world that's caused so much, as, you know, allowed so much impact. Could you maybe share with what the HeartMath Institute is and then, you know, how, why you created it and what it was like kind of developing it and birthing this? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, first of all, the name is a little bit odd sounding to some people. HeartMath, M-A-T-H. They'll say HeartMath. Like the Catholic thing? <laughs> heart and math. You know, heart and math. Oh, it's like mathematics, like algebra from the heart. No, <laughs> not that either. Um, and, and so it is a little bit of an odd name, but part of what I love about the founder is a, a man named Doc Childry. You see, he's very clever with language, and he will put unusual concepts together in the same word that he makes up, like heart math, to kind of get you, oh, that's interesting. It's heart and math. Like, why don't you call it heart science? Because that would be too boring. Mm. But heart and math is like, makes you think, like, oh, well, why would you use math? So why we use math, why you came up with that idea was that one way to look at it is that when you're going through life, there's certain kind of, quote, formulas that you might use, psychologically speaking. Like, if I do this attitude, this result is liable to happen. So it's kind of if, if this, then that. Like, like, like or A plus B equals C. You know, this stress plus event equals reaction. Or, you know, there's like formulas in life of their psychological or emotional in nature. So, um, and so one of the challenges, though, is that if we don't live from our heart, we can just get so caught up in trying to figure every little thing out, trying to understand little, little digits when there's something more holistic about a situation or a relationship that needs attention. So heart and mass is kind of the blending of the wisdom of the heart with the, the brilliance of the mind. Kind of a joint venture between head and heart is one way we've, we've talked about it. And another kind of frame on this is that heart math is fundamentally a self-help system. Um, it's also, you could also look at it as a spiritual development system. You could also look at it as a health and well-being system. So we were conscious in creating heart math that what we really wanted it to be was a friendly facilitator to whatever you needed in your life. <laughs> so in other words, if you were, like if you, my bio, talk about performance in, in like in the workplace, a lot of people are concerned about that. Their careers mean a lot to them and their families are dependent upon them growing and earning lots of income and that's their world. And so they're, they're wanting to be able to perform at better and better levels. So the tools that we developed in HeartMath, this whole system of, of techniques that you use, technology that facilitates um, the balancing of your system and, and, and a whole, um, kind of a whole philosophy, if you will. So, um, part of what Doc's point of view was is that there have been many philosophies over the, over the millennia. And many of them were kind of up in the sky. And they, they, we aspire to live in that philosophy, but some of them lack the ability to bring it down to earth. <laughs> what do I do day to day? And so the way Doc would frame it is that it's like bringing the sky to the street. Mm. The heart math is, is at, at, at its core a spiritual system. 
but it's bringing it down to a person's everyday life that, who may not be spiritual, who may not have any religious affiliation or, or spiritual beliefs, who is just simply trying to get through the month, pay rent successfully, feed their kids, and not die trying, mm-hmm. die emotionally trying. And so it's for them. And it's for the person who's dealing with a chronic disease and is feeling hopeless, it's for them. And it's for people like like you and me. And I mean, we're, we're in different phases of our life, and, and you're kind of more nomadic, and I'm kind of fixed here in New Jersey <laughs> on the Hudson River. But um, we each have day-to-day stuff. There's there's projects you're working on. There's probably some deadlines, even if they're only self-imposed. And, and little stresses can come up. And how do you navigate it gracefully through that without that becoming an obsession and therefore aging you and therefore uh, separating you from your purpose and from your, what really makes your heart sing. So HeartMath is this kind of take this guy and bring it to the street okay. in ways that people can relate to. And I think it's the, one of the things I'm very proud of actually with HeartMath is that we always felt ourselves not competitive with any other system, like Buddhists would say, well, I've already have a Buddhist practice, so I'm not interested in hard math. So we'd say, well, this is to replace your Buddhist practice. Do you ever find it's hard to feel loving kindness when you're doing your meditation practice? Yeah, some days it's very hard. Well, this may help you. Mm-hmm. Um, other people say, you know, I've been meditating for a long time, but I, I have trouble with the mantras. Um, but when I can get past that, then I can get into deep. Well, this may be a way to speed up what you already do. So we were not ever trying to replace anybody's spiritual practice or personal disciplines, but to say, we've figured out some stuff thanks to being a research organization that could be a hack. We didn't use the term in those days, but now we would say this is a hack. Mm-hmm. This is a biohack for your own physiological well-being and your mental and emotional well-being and performance. So that was kind of a lot of words about all that, but what I usually boil it down to is that there's three main reasons why HeartMath almost 30 years later is well, I'll, let me put it this way. I have been on several continents now with complete strangers who I, who I was introduced to, and they found out I was part of the original team of HeartMath and had been CEO for 11 years, become fangirl or fanboy mm-hmm. or, or devotee wanting to bow down. I mean, I'm, I'm, the level of reverence that some people have for what HeartMath did, probably like this mm-hmm. gentleman that you were interviewing the other day who kept referencing HeartMath, you got to talk about HeartMath. There is a level of reverence that people have, and there's, I think there's three reasons for that. Number one is that we made the decision early on. We didn't want to be seen as just another alternative self-help system from California. Like, the world doesn't have enough of those already. <laughs> I think we kind of maxed out on those by the end of the 70s, frankly. <laughs> so we need another one. But there wasn't one that was really grounded in mainstream science. Mm-hmm. And I word mainstream because a lot of the reverence for hard math is that there have now been 300 peer-reviewed studies validating the efficacy of hard math in everything from you know, stress relief, sleep disorders, blood pressure, heart conditions, many different ways that the tools of hard math can facilitate a person. So there's a lot of scientific evidence. And so part of why I'm sure the doctor that you talked to, one that encouraged people to go to hard math, is there's a research section of the HeartMath Institute site that's got hundreds of abstracts, full studies, monographs, it's just a cornucopia of, for people that want to understand mind-body medicine, mind-body connection, heart intelligence, all that kind of stuff. So the robustness of the scientific research is kind of the key thing. Secondly is the techniques of HeartMath are super simple, quick to learn, 
can be applied while you're doing a podcast, <laughs> while you're in traffic, while you're preparing to meet with somebody and you're a little bit nervous that it may not go well, uh, while you're recovering or about, uh, from an illness, while you're thinking like, hmm, am I starting to get something right now? I'm just going to feel a in my throat. So there are all these places in regular life where one or more heart math techniques can be inserted fairly simply and fairly quickly to ease the stress, ease the moment, and bring you back, back into more of what we call coherence. And the third element is biofeedback technology. So starting 20 years ago, HeartMath began to release a series of different um, techniques. Tech. Uh, started out computer-based, then it turned into a handheld device, then it became an app for the sensor. And the app is called Inner Balance. And uh, when I teach at Stanford, uh, everybody who attends the course gets the sensor that goes with the app. So the fact that you have a way that your smartphone or your tablet or your computer can become a source of feedback for your, you and your system, especially on the heart aspects of it, um, not, to, not to diagnose do you have a heart condition, it's more to give you feedback on how to get into a zone, mm -hmm. to get into flow. So we basically figured out you can measure flow. You can measure the zone. And it is absolutely to do with the heart. And we can train people fairly quickly into how to get into that zone. And the technology, in any of those versions, can be that feedback mechanism that say, wow, that's what happens when I breathe in that pattern. That's what happens when I focus on appreciation while I'm breathing. That is so cool. That's me. I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. So it's a very empowering process to, to go through and to have. So those are the three elements, really, that make it interesting and and, and it helped it last, I and mean, it's, it's still growing. The robust scientific research, the simple practical techniques that can be used in the moment of life, not requiring you to meditate or requiring you to have a darkened room or 20 minutes to yourself. We want you to do that too, of course, but this is in the moment stuff. And then lastly, the, the, the cool fact that can, you know, it's like the, like the ultimate biohacker, tech tech for the stress and performance aspects of my life and emotional uh, aspect. Amazing. So I'm curious of, like, when you were, as this research was coming out, like, what was that like for you and the team to be receiving that research and, like, being able to see that you had this ability to, like, now share this information? And what was the turnaround time of receiving the research and then being able to create something that then was effective in being able to share with others? Wow, that's a great question. Well, we, we were starting to create techniques from the get-go. Mm. So, because Doc Childry had already been working on developing ideas around the heart and techniques around the heart for years before we started an organization. So, there was all, on day one, we were doing kind of heart meditation practices for our own balance and to kind of get deeper and more connected as, as an organization but also just in our own self to be able to align more to our soul, get the head and heart working together better. So there was a, already a concept from the beginning of kind of focusing around your heart, breathing with the heart, uh, focusing on appreciation. That was a core concept from day one. And then we started to develop techniques uh, along with that fairly quickly before we had tons of research validating it all. So, um, so we were able to go out to clients at the beginning potential clients, corporations, schools, etc., um, without much research yet, mm. with a theory, with some techniques, and us. And I always said that I think what, we were, what they were buying a lot at the beginning was us. 
because there was something about us that, I mean, it wasn't like everybody was the same, and that kind of sounds culty or weird, but I think there was just a sense, at least I, I felt this in, in, in why I was successful in getting organizations to embrace this before we had great data, before we had an article, Harvard Business Review and teaching at Stanford and all that stuff. But now it's like a piece of cake, relatively speaking. But back then it was like, wow, you guys, you come, you, you come across different. Mm-hmm. You come across with the balance, but it's not just like a, you're oming all day long. It's like you're in the world. There's something that's practical and grounded about you, but you just seem like you're more chill than the average person out here. So whatever you've got, it's kind of like the, the old, that, that old, was sleepless, not sleepless. Yeah, I'll have whatever she's I want what she's got. I think that's what people, people were kind of picking up on, is that there's something about you guys that's like, cool, you're onto something. So let's give it a shot. And luckily, some of those were organizations who wanted us to measure data on, on their teams. And we were able to start to, we had developed an assessment tool that was a self-reporting assessment of how you feel. Uh, how's your sleep? How's your level of exhaustion, of anger, of frustration, of appreciation, of feeling overwhelmed by time? So we collect responses, dozens of responses from each person before they would go through a heart math workshop. And then six weeks later, we'd measure them again after they had learned techniques and gotten some uh, support. And we would track significant changes in many things. And like 50% improvement in the number of people sleeping well at night, like like really dramatic numbers. And this kept happening. We thought, okay, we're on to something for sure. Meanwhile, in the lab, there was more clinical research happening about what's really happening in the heart. One of the moments relatives who realized we're on to something, that is, a, is a, another great story. So a key facet of heart math is this idea, which I think people can visualize that when you're frustrated, anyone is frustrated, angry, any emotion we would call a stressful emotion. But frustration, anger, those kinds of things are obvious examples. So you, you, you know how you feel when you're worked up. But when you look at how the heart is beating using regular medical technology software, pattern looks kind of like an earthquake. It's all over the place. It's spiking and it's very erratic and, it, and, and the listeners can't see my hand right now, but like drawing like an earthquake pattern, it's just like vroom, vroom, very jumbled and chaotic. We discovered, and this is based on our belief that the heart and emotions were absolutely connected, we discovered that the patterns of the heart, once you focus on something like appreciation or gratitude or compassion, moves out of that chaotic rhythm into this beautiful, smooth sine wave rhythm, like a perfect, what's called a coherent pattern. And so we had discovered this, and this was not understood, this was not even believed that, that, that the human system was capable of self-regulating in that way. So this thing is called heart rate variability, the fact that the heart rate is always changing, but that it, and it changes erratically when we're stressed, and it changes smoothly when we're in balance, when we're in love, when we're in compassion. So that was our theory, we were starting to test it out, trying to prove it. And we had learned there was a man who invented the term heart rate variability, who was this noted cardiologist in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we were told by some, a client that if you could get him to endorse what you guys are doing and maybe even work with you on research, that's going to be a game changer because this, is, this guy invented this, this branch of cardiology. He, he's like, you know, crusty old 
cold dude from Chicago. <laughs> if he could ever buy in, you're, you're gold. So we fly him out to the mountains of Central California, kind of Hippieville, and we kind of looked that way to him. And uh, left Northwestern, his ECG lab at Northwestern to come out, and uh, he was he was intrigued but skeptical. And he had made a statement to all of us in the, in the room listening to a small group in our research lab that humans, we, we lose the variability of our heart as we age, and that's just a function of aging. So your heart gets stiffer and stiffer and less and less variable as we age, and therefore more risk of having heart attacks, which is what happened, right? That's obvious. So he had just said in this meeting, people cannot affect their own heart rate variability. It's just that process, it's built in, it's what happens. I mean, yeah, there might be stresses in life that might accelerate it, but we can't intervene. It's just, it's just what it is. We do differently, but we didn't want to take them on right away. <laughs> so what happened was our research director, who's part of this whole meeting, turns around, puts electrodes on his ribcage, fired up the software, which was a medical off-the-shelf heart rate variability software, and his pattern looked like a normal pattern like this doctor just had been describing. And then Roland, the research director, began to use one of the heart math techniques, and we watched as his pattern became this perfect sine wave. Mm. The, doctor, the doctor had just said it is impossible for humans to control their own heart rate variability. And now the research director, not some Tibetan monk, not some yogi from Muscovy, this was a research geek, you know, is just kind of casually turning around and moves and completely controls his own pattern. And it was a very interesting moment. It was like you could hear a pin drop in that room. <laughs> and I was very careful. I thought, don't say a word. <laughs> Let's see what, see what happens. And he then spoke, the doctor then spoke and said, Colin, this is significant. Mm. And later on that weekend, he asked to become part of our scientific advisory board. Mm -hmm. And for the next decade, he was involved co-writing papers with us, doing co-research with us. His credibility was extremely helpful to us. But not just his credibility, he wasn't just giving his name, he was giving us advice and teaching us how to use this tool that he had helped to develop mm -hmm. for the betterment of humanity, really. And um, if, you, if any of your listeners Google heart rate variability or go on a medical database, there are hundreds of thousands of studies today that use heart rate variability because it's a fundamental way to measure the resiliency and balance of the human system. That was known before HeartMath came along, but we know we, we know that if we were the ones that helped to popularize that heart rate variability even mattered. Hmm. Because up until then, again, the view was you can't control your heart rhythm, so why even bother? We said, uh, well, actually, <laughs> actually you can. Yeah. And it's a life changer when you start to realize that because this means that if you can control your heart rhythm, which is tied into your emotions and it's linked to your brain, you're, you're making a massive shift. That's what's called a trim tab and thing. So, so it's like a, it's like a serious lever in your own transformation mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so that's at the, kind of at the core of the heart mass system is this acknowledgement that we have the power to self-regulate way more than we ever used to believe. Mm. And, it's, and the heart is a huge part of this because the heart is the dominant electrical part of our system. It's 60 times stronger than our brain electrically. It's the dominant magnetic system. It's 5,000 times stronger than the brain magnetically. 
which is the power generator. We're not saying the brain isn't an incredible supercomputer and, and all kinds of wild 5G stuff, but we're also saying the heart's no you know, chopped liver. The, it's <laughs> the, the portal. It's the real portal. Totally. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Big time. I remember when I came across HeartMath Institute um, a few years ago, and this has been, you know, I already deep delved into meditation practice, meditating a lot, brought me into Reiki, and then a friend was like, you haven't heard of HeartMath Institute yet? Like, how, like, you're living through heart space is what you've created, and you don't know of this yet? And I was like, no. And I remember it just it changed so much for me to, like, one, have an even deeper understanding. It put an understanding to what I was just learning through experience, of just meditating and being able to get further into my heart and leading from that space. It really gave that groundedness and it was like, oh, this is happening, and then building in on the tools. And I had a, so when we met, so I had arrived to the event a bit later, and so I kind of came in, and as I'm listening to you all speak, I was like, oh, Bruce and I, we're meant to be friends. I like what he's up to. And then it was when you were speaking with some, the woman next to me before you and I connected, and you mentioned something of, you know, of, you know, my former, you know, Heart Math Institute, and it hit where I was like, wait, what? And, like, I had one of those moments where I was just like, okay, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> um, so it's definitely been a huge game changer for me. Um, and so I highly recommend, of course, it's going to be in the show notes, um, to go and explore that and find. But... I would love if you would be willing to share maybe just one technique um, for listeners who are listening now that you think would be applicable for more of just like the day-to-day, you know, stresses of being able to drop into that coherency. Mm-hmm, sure. Well, one of the things we learned in our early research in early 90s was that um, regulating your breath is a very significant part of how you regulate your heart. The breath and the heart rate are absolutely tied together. So if your heart rate is racing, you're breathing really fast, and and vice versa. So one way to slow down and help the heart rate get more calm is to slow down your breath. So the breath and the heart, it's well well understood in science for you know, probably hundreds of years, are absolutely tied together. So um, at the core, of pretty much every heart math technique is to start to slow down your breath. And mainstream science understands that the most efficient breathing pattern, based on how human systems are designed, and all of us are roughly the same in this regard, I mean, slight variations, but there's an average, that if we do a 10-second breath, 5 seconds in and 5 seconds out, that is optimal for the human system. Mm-hmm. Now, some people could be 4 and a half and 4 and a half. It could be 6 and 6. If we're um, older and don't have great lung capacity, it, it, it's liable to be even shorter breaths, mm-hmm. right? If we're a marathon runner, five seconds could feel like, oh, I'd like to breathe longer than that. And you, you can, but on average, the optimal is a five-second in-breath and a five-second out-breath. And just one continuous flow, you're not, the idea is not to hold it. You don't need to hold it. Because part of what we're trying to do is, is have people realize, oh, you can do this in a meeting, mm-hmm. on a phone call, while driving. You're just being more conscious of your breath and slowing it down a little. Because most of us would not breathe at five we might be a little faster than that was. And it would be more erratic. It would be shorter, faster, longer. It could be in rhythms. So the breathing is, is part of it. 
so there's, there's, if I can mention two techniques, and the related one's just an extended version of the other. Yeah. But again, as I was saying earlier, part of the, the beauty of heart math is that you can do something quick, and it can surprise me, wow, that was a quick change in my, in my internal space. And so one of the core techniques is called quick coherence. <laughs> and coherence is this idea that the reason the heart can get into this beautiful, smooth rhythm is because systems internally are aligning. They're becoming coherent. Mm. They're lining up, so to speak. And there's more science to that, which I don't you need to explain right now. But so becoming coherent, that's what that's a scientific word for flow or, or the zone. Coherent doesn't necessarily mean super low level relaxed either. You can be coherent at a high heart rate in a zone, like performing and like just totally in a zone. Well, that's really different than being totally in a zone way down here. Mm-hmm. So coherence is not dependent on being relaxed. Coherence is about getting alignment at whatever the situation requires. So you, you see uh, emergency responders, first responders, they're super coherent. Mm-hmm. But if you measured their heart rates, it probably wouldn't be 50 because they're dealing with a, a disaster or a crisis or chaos. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, they can be in a zone in the middle of the chaos. right? And, and athletes who who you, you want to give the ball to that guy or that girl mm-hmm. because she can somehow get in a zone at that moment when everybody else is freaking out. And you want them to have the ball to make that shot or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So they have that kind of ability. So basically we're saying everybody can get more of that. Some people have a lot of it coming in. Others it takes more practice and more training. But we all can do it. So, um, so the breathing is part of this quick coherence idea. And the, the other, the, the, where the, basically all the heart math techniques start is to bring the attention to the energy of the heart, to, this, to the, the area of the heart in our body. You're not trying to focus on the organ itself. You're not trying to visualize the organ beating or pumping out blood. I mean, that's, a little, that's weird for people. It's more like, for your listeners who are energy sensor, mm-hmm. sensor conscious, it's more like the energy center of the heart is where you focus for that area. And so you focus there, and then you breathe in a, this five-second rhythm, five seconds in, imagining air coming into your heart through that energy center. And then as you exhale, imagine going back out to that energy center. And as you do that, the patterns of the heart start to become more and more smooth just by that focus and that breathing. And so as those patterns are getting smoother, what that really means is the nervous system is getting more aligned. It's calming down. It's now starting to work more in balance with itself instead of in opposition to itself. That's why you're feeling more coherent. That's why you're feeling like, ah, yes, yes, there's a quieting going on inside mm-hmm. myself. This is a good thing. This is how I'm supposed to feel more of the time, pardon me. So the focus on the heart area first, the breathing in a steady rhythm, imagining the air coming in and out through the heart for the pace of about five seconds as you breathe in, five seconds as you breathe out. And then the third step is to focus on a positive feeling. Mm-hmm. And we nearly always recommend, especially if someone's trying something like this for the first time, a feeling of appreciation. And it can be appreciation of anything. Something in this moment that you're feeling appreciation for. Something three years ago that that time on that beach with that sunset, and wow, when I think about that, I feel it again. So the emphasis is on feeling right now a feeling of appreciation. So it can be the memory, but feel that memory. Don't just think the memory, right? And it can be something that you're anticipating, too. It's like, 
ah, the weekend, Saturday, I'm going to watch the fall colors in Hudson Valley, New York. Yeah. Uh, I know it's going to be rejuvenating, you know, whatever. And so it, it can be future, it's not time bound, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be past, it doesn't have to be future, it can be anything. But the, the, the emphasis is on really feeling it. Mm-hmm. So appreciation tends to be the, 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 the quality that we recommend because most people have something they appreciate. It could be a pet, it could be somebody at work that they just really enjoy working with that person, they appreciate them. Um, and some people have been so traumatized in life that finding something to appreciate is so hard. And so even if, even if it's like, well, do you have a favorite ice cream? Mm. What flavor is that? Sure. Remember how you feel. If, if that is, is, is the best somebody can find, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll start there. So those are the three steps. Focus around in the area of the heart. Breathe in a slow pattern in and out through the heart. Five seconds in, five seconds out. Oh. Roughly, don't don't be a timer. Right. And then you're in your head and say, "Oh my God, I think I did 4.8." <laughs> about about five each way. Mm-hmm. About five, but don't don't make it about counting either. And then and then just try to soak into this a feeling of appreciation with the heart continuing to rather with the breathing continuing to be rhythmic and at that at that gentle pace and continue to keep the focus around there around the heart. So that could be a 30-second practice before mm-hmm. you make a phone call. Mm-hmm. That could be a 30-second practice in the middle of a meeting that's, start to go, that's starting to go haywire. And you realize, I need to be an island of calm and radiance of a balancing energy right now. Maybe I need to say something too, but <laughs> right now, I can't say anything. But what I can do is change my field and who knows what impact that may have on lessening the vibe of the room a little bit. Um, so that's, that's uh, it's called quick coherence because the idea that you can do it in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. All that I just said could be a 30 second. It could be a 15 second process. I jokingly say with, with cell phones these days, <clears throat> usually if, if you see the name pop up when somebody's calling you, you're sometimes it's like, I have to take this call and I really don't want to take this call. You've got several moments. You've got some time. You don't have to answer it instantly. Mm-hmm. You've got five or six rings in most cases, or maybe more. And so you could take that, that even short amount of time and say, okay, right now. Breathe in and out through the heart. This will be fine. This will be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever you need to do. Whatever you need to do. So um, that's, a, that's a kind of a fun mini, mini application of it. Beautiful. So that's the, the idea of quick coherence, a, a quick way to get your system reset back to a zone that you know is in you. you, you you've had it many, probably many times. Sometimes where we experience this place is like a shower mm-hmm. because you're just like, ah. Oh, so oh, good. But, <laughs> and you're not distracted. You're not checking anything. Your, your mind is kind of turned off, but then sometimes you think of something, oh, wow, I need to do that because what we found is because the heart and brain are hardwired together, there's multiple pathways of communication going back and forth between the heart and the brain. When you calm, when you help the heart get into a, a more coherent rhythm, which means also your emotions are, are now more, on the more positive side of the spectrum and, and more, as opposed to more stressful, um, that enhances the brain. So the brain is like, starts lighting up more because it's now it's not getting noise <laughs> sent to it all the time from that, those pathways, it's getting a balancing energy sent from the heart. Mm-hmm. So the brain can now 
oh, thank you, yes, now I know what to do, or, yeah, oh, now I have the idea, or, yeah, actually, I knew exactly what to do. There's just too much noise in the way, but now the noise is gone. Now, oh, yeah, that's what I should do. So that's a big part of heart math is it's kind of the counterintuitive dimension of want to improve your brain, focus on your heart. Mm. Yes. <laughs> when the heart and the brain are hooked together, the brain's being fed by the goodness of you from your heart, which the brain needs to make the decisions. If the brain's operating without that, it may make good sense make it may make good decisions, but it may not. It could be really short sighted, it could be way too reactive, you know. Beautiful. Thank you. It's, I can talk. <laughs> and I love it. Um it's, I appreciate the you know, being able to slow down the heart. I find it just brings that deeper sense of presence of that awareness of being able to see all the things to be grateful for in those moments. Um, I feel like when I started my gratitude practice, I'll start the morning with listing at least 10 things I'm grateful for just to kind of get the gratitude attitude wheels moving. Um, And I was challenged by someone one day to sit and do 100 and not move until I I listed 100. And I was like, all right, I'm in. So I was going through, and it allowed me to open the capacity to realize the things of like, clean drinking water, and the ability to write, the ability to read, you know, those things that it can be so easy to overlook being really grateful for and realizing how much appreciation can come through for all those things. I, I love I love the gratitude practice. Um, a couple of friends of mine have a group called Gratuity Included, and they're on this mission to show the importance of of gratitude in everything and really implementing it and they do different workshops and things like that. I'm gonna I'm inspired actually to reach out to them and see if they want to do an episode um all around yeah. gratitude. That'd be great. great. Name. Yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. yeah. Humans humans a, is a genius. Um so yeah, good stuff. But um thank you for that. Thank you for the tips and I hope everyone continues with breathing that way through the rest of this episode. Um, and there on out, and then sharing the impact of just that in of itself. Um, and, and think of it as, as breathing fueled by the deepest um, values of your heart, the deepest qualities of your heart. So we, we suggest appreciation. It can be love. It can mm-hmm. be compassion. It can be peace. It, 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 it's not. It's whatever your soul wants and how you want to direct it, a focus. But um, the breathing on itself is hugely valuable, which is why it's designed into us, that just breathing. I mean, you look at how many athletes are conscious of that, to, to calm themselves down in the heat of a moment. The number of people that right before a race, they're doing some stuff to kind of let out the, some of that tension, because like we all intuitively know that works. But it's not as natural for a lot of people to go to something like appreciation, like the idea of counting to 10 or let's slow down, let's get neutral. That's, that's like, yeah, okay. Then go to appreciation. That's not as common. And so part of why that's so important is that our physiology is living in the past mm-hmm. because our autonomic nervous system, which controls 90% of what our bodies have to do every day, heart rate, breathing, digestion, all that stuff, we're not thinking about any of it. It's all handled subconsciously for us. The subconscious mind works through the autonomic nervous system. But that's also where everything gets stored. Mm-hmm. So you know, all the past reactions, the reason we react every time we see a certain person, 
is that we, they've done something to us and they keep doing it. And so we get into defensive physiology. We get into fight flight and physiology, which is all in the subconscious, in this, this autonomic nervous system. It's stored there. So a lot of us have lived lives that were highly stressful and we kind of stay in a stress zone physiologically. So even to tr try to move into appreciation for some people, and I noticed when I said some people can't even, and this has been very sobering over the years to teach this in, in, in many, many, many places from prisons to CEO suites to hospitals to you name it. You know, some people just, they've been so traumatized by, by life and by what they've gone through, it's hard for them to find it. Um, and it's probably because their physiology is just stuck in this, the, the reality of what they've lived so far and how they perceive how they've lived. So to even start to build circuitry of appreciation at first and feel like, what if I'm too appreciative? Like, well, try being like 10% appreciative first. <laughs> if you actually ever get to that point where you're like too appreciative, then we can talk. But for now, like even occasionally be appreciative would be like a huge progress. People literally do have that concern. Like, I'm so, I've got to be like this all the time. If I really slowed myself down, I'd, I'd lose all effectiveness. Meaning you're like super effective right now, going with crazy all the time, right? So you're like, you're at your best now? Really? Really? And how, how well are you sleeping? Lousy? Oh, bad sleep. And you got health, chronic health issues. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's you see the point. So, so I'm just saying that the, the practice, I'm just making the distinction because mm -hmm. people often do associate heart with, oh, and I love doing that breathing. Mm -hmm. and, and it is the breathing, but it's especially the, the, even trying to shift into appreciation about something about your life having a very powerful impact. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, and again, I think it's, it's, we have to build physiology where that starts to feel normal. Because we, we work, we've well built the physiology where stress feels normal, anxiety, self-doubt, fear feels normal, and whatever variation for us happens in my life. So it takes actual building of circuitry and practicing of being in a, you know, feeling ourselves in a, in a beautiful state to build the circuitry where it's easier to then feel that and mm -hmm. easier to go over there in the middle of a tough situation. So you build, building the circuitry. So this simple practice, it sounds like, what's the nice about reading exercise and focusing on heart center and, and you think about appreciation, it sounds very simple, and it is. Um, and it sounds kind of unassuming, which it is. And I think I love that actually about heart math is that we kind of sneak in. Like mm -hmm. I used to say, we were the, we're the, tro we're the Trojan horse of corporate transformation. Because we come in as a chest management program, it's all this cool science. And then people get deep and they're saying, is this like a Tibetan Buddhist practice? I say no. Because this is so much like what I'm learning from the Tibetan Buddhist practice. And she's saying no. We, we just trained it up. We, we trained it. But it's, it's deeper than it, it may appear on the surface. I love it. Yeah. The simplicity. It's, it's also simple that we make it complex because the mind wants to make it complex. And it's just all comes down to simplicity. Um, you know, like, there's got to be more steps than that. Just, just focus on the heart. Just the heart space. Just go and just dive in. Um, yeah. Oh, you guys are from California. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the hot tub's way to do this. <laughs> take a hit first, then the hot tub, yeah. then do this. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. That's the model. That's it. <laughs> so I do at Stanford. We wheel the hot tub into the middle of the Stanford campus, and 
I mean, if we all get it together. Yeah. Now that's that a scene. I'm, I'm so involved for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. And, like, it's just so amazing to see that, you know, something of such caliber and impact has been just part of your journey. And to be able to create something like that and then be able to, I mean, you were kind of forced by the many different times of life giving you these wake-up calls. It was kind of that, hey, you have to evolve into something else for now. But it's, you know, great to see that you went from the arts into creatives like this and then to be really moving back into a bigger focus on the arts, again, with the Renaissance human concept, you know, and the through previous conversations you and I have had of talking of that, we're meant to continue to expand and add layers onto ourselves, strip away the layers of ourselves and find the pieces of ourselves that want to come out to play and kind of bringing that through. And I love the whole concept as a whole. Um, could you share a bit more of what Renaissance Human is? Because I'm coming in knowing a lot more from different conversations, but a bit of what it is and like how you came up with the term and like what that evolution from heart space I'm um, sorry, heart space is me. Heart math. Um, <laughs> um, coming from that, and then what was that evolution of you saying, okay, that's who I am, and then helping others to step into being a Renaissance human themselves? Yeah, awesome question. Well, first of all, just to clarify for folks a little bit, this health journey that I was on did involve cancer and surgery and um, treatments and staph infections as a result of the treatments and staph getting in my blood, which is go to the hospital now, you have a life-threatening condition, uh, which was followed by six weeks of uh, infusing and through a tube in my arm, strong antibiotic to try to kill the staph which was floating around in my blood somehow. And I got through all of that. I'm coming up on, in, in uh, six weeks, I will be 10 years cancer-free. I'm a little more than nine years staph infection-free. I'm eight years on titanium, brand new titanium nets, which are functioning beautifully. So I went through a lot in that period, and as I was coming out of it and started to realize I was going to make it through, and that what I had just gone through was premature aging. So now I don't have to age. <laughs> I've gone through it all. <laughs> I've gone through all the only, only age stuff. So that's out of the way. Cool. And um, so what started to emerge out of the wake-up calls was, you need to be creative again. And it started with wanting to sing and then discovering I could actually dance. And the genie was out of the bottle, as I said earlier. And so once I started to do, to sing again, and it turned into what we started to call keynote performances, and we branded it as something called What Makes Your Heart Sing. The point was to use music as a vehicle to awaken inspiration in people. And we were, we were doing this, I have a creative partner who's brilliant, singer, composer, performer, producer, um, won a bunch of Emmys and this amazing guy. We were college roommates as well. So we go back and we have, we have a great chemistry and we, we created this thing called What Makes Your Heart Sing. And it was so fulfilling to start doing this because the first time I did a, a keynote performance and it was in front of 500 uh, nurses and doctors from Kaiser who were burned out because if you're in healthcare, you're burned out. It's hard to not be burned out being in the healthcare system in the U.S. And so the, the, the group that brought us in wanted us to inspire the audience to 
come out of that burnout to some degree. And so that was what we tried to do. And we realized this really resonated with healthcare audiences. They wanted to be inspired. They were in healthcare because they wanted to care for people. Mm-hmm. They didn't pick IT or engineering or banking. They picked healthcare. But it's really rough to, yeah. to, to be able to sustain the care in, in such a situation. So, but the process of creating not just a talk, but now like a performance and, and creating slideshows and creating video and bringing the audience in, getting them singing along with some of our songs and creating an inter- a theatrical experience in a corporate environment was like super fun. I had to be in rehearsals. Instead of being in planning meetings, these were now rehearsals. And that was so much more fun to me. And so it was like I couldn't get enough. And little by little, uh, people were noticing, you're like a singer now? Yeah, yeah, like again, not like now, like again. And like dancing, and, and you go on your photography, and, and you've gone, gotten through all these health issues, you're like the Renaissance man. You've like had this whole Renaissance happening. And I was hearing that term Renaissance man several times. And I thought, I've never in my life been called a Renaissance man before because I wasn't. <laughs> I had this period where I was an artist, and then I stopped all that and kind of got into business and spirituality, and then gradually started getting some creative stuff back, and then kind of lost that again. And, now I was kind of embracing it and kind of going for it, and I realized that's really what's happening. I am, I am, I'm, I'm going through my own renaissance. And as I pondered more about it, I, of course I thought, renaissance man, uh, there's a, a fundamental glaring problem with the term, leaves out half the world's population. And um, so I thought, and I just, the name came to me, renaissance human. I thought, wow, that sounds so different. That sounds like it's contemporary and future oriented as opposed to you know, the 15th century or something, like Da Vinci. So I kind of played with that a bit and blogged about it and started writing a book about it and got approached two and a half years ago to create an album of original songs. And um, these guys who approached me were like saying, I can, we can take you on a journey. We know there's music in you and we know that we can help you and we can produce this album and it'll cost you X thousands of dollars. And I was like... Um, I've never even wanted to write a song. Does that matter? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they laughed like you did. And they said, uh, no, it doesn't because we know it's in you. We mm-hmm. know it's in you. We've seen it. And we can help you get it out. And these are amazing guys. Okay. I have to give a huge shout out to the brothers Corin, Isaac Corin and Torald Corin, who are brothers. Phenomenal singers, phenomenal songwriters, amazing men. Uh, two of my dearest, dearest friends because we went on a journey for several months of developing songs together. And we released it, but as soon as I said yes to the project, I thought this will be part of the launching of this Renaissance human idea. Because for me, um, creating music and then putting it out and launching it in New York City, that's a big, that's a big leap. Yes, I was a singer years ago. Yes, I can sing again. Yes, I can dance again. But putting out music, and I've never written a song in my life, that's a whole other level of ah! <laughs> and I, not only did I get through it, I fell in love with the process and thanks to these guys it, of course they were facilitating the whole thing and they were very involved in the creation so it wasn't just me at all but it just kind of awakened yet another level of exploring what does this renaissance human even mean and as I've thought about it a lot over the last couple of years I realized that well really how I think of this is that as human beings we all go through many births in our lifetime there's the big one Big pop. Then there's another one that hits, you know, 11 or 12 years old, and it's like, what is going on in my body? You know, and it's weird and scary and delightful and whatever. 
And it, it, so that's another kind of obvious programmed one. But then all these other births happen as a result of going to college, being a nomad, meeting certain people, and suddenly you discover, wow, I can do that. Or somebody giving you an opportunity to do something you've never done, and you discover, wow, I'm really good at that. I really love doing that. Well, and that's a part of you being born. Sometimes the birth does involve the death of something in you that, that has to kind of be shed in order for you to become the new thing. But not always. Every birth does not require death. Nobody has to die for me to be born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There, there's no grave site associated with... Well, Bruce came in, but unfortunately Tom had to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So we don't need to think about every time you birth a new part of it necessarily. There's, there's some wrenching death of an old part of myself. Sometimes that's the case. But other times it's more seamless. It's more like, oh, I'm doing this new thing now. That's, that's something's being born. So as I pondered this, I thought, that's kind of what being a human is. We're continuing to be born. So renaissance, which literally means rebirth, in the French word, is like, well, that's what's always, that's we continue to happen. We don't necessarily think of it that way. Mm-hmm. So when a lot of people hit their 40s, maybe 50, it's called a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Instead of, oh, something's wanted to be born. Maybe you haven't had one in 10 or 15 years because you've been so locked into a certain grid of job, career, family, suburb, whatever. So now it's quite wrenching because it's like it's the foundation is feeling like it's being shaken. But what if you had been approaching your life? What if you've been trained to believe, to know that that's the human process? Some people are just constantly doing it, and that's the nature. That's their nature, and it's constantly being flowing, improvising, and creating and creating because that's their nature. Others isn't that much, but it's, maybe it's more than it. It, it could have been. So I just kind of looked at that's how, that's how life is. So Renaissance human to me is honoring that built in to every human being is the power to create life, which is a fundamental creative energy of life. How that plays out is unique to each of us. But if we embrace the idea that birthing new parts of us, that's what we do. That's what being human is. That's the joy and the amazing nature of being human. Took me a long time. Took me almost losing <laughs> life to come to that awareness and to embrace the idea that that's like the seriously cool, amazing part of life, and especially life today, mm-hmm. because I think so many systems are obviously breaking down, are, 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 are collapsing. The, the dinosaurs are not wanting to let go, and they're just crashing around. And we see that in the political system, especially. But um, there's this kind of inexorable march of Things need to evolve, things need to shift, things need to change. That means us, too. Especially it means us. Especially it means us continuing to grow into new parts of ourselves that, that maybe didn't exist before. That's what being human is. It's like, not a big deal, guys. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is, because it, it, some of them can be, like, seriously challenging. Mm-hmm. Seriously challenging. You're in the middle of my journey, my mother passed away. Long decline of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. We'd lost her for several years before, in the sense that she didn't know who anybody was. Years before she found mm-hmm. out, my marriage was also collapsing. Other than that, you know, everything was hunky dory. <laughs> so you know, it was a rough, rough period. Yeah. But my point being, <clears throat> life moves on, and I'm not trying to trivialize any of it and just say, "Hey guys, rose-colored glasses time." It's just we we just keep being born again, and it's all just wonderful and. And Rosie, no, it's, it can be deeply challenging and wrenching and all that. 
Totally. I think what's beautiful that is, like how I'm receiving that is the paradigm that you're showing of, you know, the process of change that is happening and that evolution. Like, yes, we can look at what's dying and, like, what's being away and might not always be dying as changing, but we can also focus on what's being birthed. And it really does help in that paradigm of staying more in the excitement versus anxiety where, you know, this is, with the anxiety and excitement carrying the same frequency, it's in those moments we have the opportunity of which paradigm we're looking at. And so I think it's really beautiful to show, like, cool, when these changes are happening and things are falling away, maybe it's, you know, I've called it 2019 has been the year of very gentle tower moments for me. I like relating to the, uh, the tower card and the tarot, when it's just things are falling apart. It's in these gentle towers. For me personally, um, I was just watching, like, oh, but new things are being born, um, and being able to always consistently come back to that space of, am I going to get anxious about this, or am I going to be excited? And so I think it's beautiful what you're doing is you're shining the light on, but look at what's being born. Not saying ignore the emotions and, you know, tend to them and come to the breath and things, but I think it's a really beautiful paradigm in showing, like, but, but wait, there's more. It's coming. Um that was in a gong bath recently. I came out, and that was one of the, you know, understandings that came through. Of they were just like, it's just going to keep getting bigger. Like, allow it just to keep expanding, because everything, like, what happens now, it just gets bigger. What that means, don't know, but just continue to evolve, and it all just gets bigger. And so I think this is, a, like, that visual comes to me as, like, talking of Renaissance Human and what you're sharing of just letting yourself continue to expand into that and letting go of what needs to die. Um, has that process gotten easier for you, of, like, letting things go as it's going? Yes. <laughs> I hesitated to answer that question because um, I wanted to be, you know, fully honest about it. Mm-hmm. So how I would explain it is that it has absolutely gotten easier and, and deeper. Mm-hmm. So in, in ways it's been more painful because I've allowed myself over the, especially the last seven or eight years, to really feel whatever I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. So if it's really grieving something, or just really attached to something, I fully feel it, and there's tears sometimes, and whatever. Um, and so I've, I've kind of hit levels of, wow, that's strong in there, that I hadn't appreciated fully before, and as a result, hadn't moved certain things through before, because... Mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate how, how much of a grip the next had on still had on me. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely kind of come to the uh, understanding over, over a number of years now that the more we do acknowledge and feel what that feeling is, and then it, it, what are we wanting to feel now? I, and another shout out is to a very good friend of mine who I'm inspired by daily, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm. And, and Joe and I spent some time together recently at a conference where we were both speaking, and I've, I've just glommed on to his work again lately, and we read his chatter with him the other day. And one of his core ideas is that when we're, when we're aspiring to something new, and even and especially when we're in the middle of a, you know, kind of the rise of the phoenix, <laughs> the, the, uh, the ashes of the old are, are happening, and the phoenix hasn't fully been born yet, um, is to in meditation to not just have the intention of what we're wanting to become, the, the loving person, the, the person making an impact, the person on a bigger stage, you know, whatever it is that we're aspiring to, to not just have that intention, but do it with the, ele- what do you call the elevated emotion, mm-hmm. 
of when we've done that, when we're at that place. So we're kind of pulling ourselves into the future through the emotional state of what we will feel like once we've accomplished that. And there's some, something about the way he puts that, I just love that, because mm -hmm. the, the emotions that are holding us back can be very strong, you know, and very subtle, and like they're, they're, they can be very, they can be well hidden, because they think that, that they need to be there to protect us, right? They're there for, for our protection, and we did need them at a certain point in our life to protect ourselves against people that would be aggressive or abusive or whatever it was. But to grow next, some of those same parts of ourselves are not serving. So, but we don't want to just deny them or kill them. We're just lovingly, okay, you're not in charge anymore, but thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that I wouldn't have made it through without your, your help. But now I need to you know, kind of move into this next phase of how I want to feel and, and how I want to be. And so that's, and, and to me that's a, that comes back to the statement I made earlier that it just hit me one day that Every human being is programmed with the ability to create life. It's mm. not just create a thought or create a pain, it's create another life. <clears throat> that to me is like, that's God's. Yeah. We're, we're able to create another life. Whether we ever create another life is not the point. We're programmed with that capacity. And some people do create many lives, and, and that's what their destiny is. And others are creating works of art. And others are creating works of art as relationships. And, but not other, other babies, <laughs> you know, so, so to me, like everything, like this conversation, <clears throat> other than when you read the, my bio, other than that, you haven't been working from the script, I haven't been working from the script, we've been creating as we go. Totally. I'm responding to what you're saying, you're responding to what I'm saying, it's been a, it is a wonderful creative exchange that is alive, yeah. and we're creating in each moment. And I think I'm wanting to help people realize that's what's always going on. And so we always have the power to make a change, make a shift, and because we are designed with that. Now some people, their, their creative urge was blessed and encouraged and go for it, Kelly, you just do what you want to do. A lot of other people, like Kelly, stick to, stick to the nursing school, that's mm -hmm. what you need to do. Maybe accounting things, stick on that, there's poetry stuff, dance stuff. Meditation, you can do that later when you retire. Yeah. You know, those messages. And so a lot of people don't trust that part of themselves it's because they were never allowed to let it, let it fly. I'm so, so, so grateful to have had the parents that I had. Mm. Because not only did they encourage that side of me, they, they loved me through it, even when, my, when I became an actor and singer. My father had these really obvious mixed feelings <laughs> because he was a singer who aspired to like be a, an opera singer. He had a beautiful voice, but he grew up in a depression on a farm in Ohio. Yeah. What chance did a guy like that have? And he had two small sons in college, so he never had a chance to live that dream. And then his, his fifth son, me, comes along and discovers it kind of, you know, like at age 70, I'm, I can actually sing, and, and then ends up doing this wonderful show in New York, and my father was so proud of it. Like, like, he was living vicariously through me so much. And at the same time, his day job, he was a life insurance executive. He was like, a, he was an actuary, but he was, had that kind of mindset. So there's another part of him saying, and you have picked the most insecure profession imaginable. <laughs> but he, like, he wouldn't lay that on me, like, to really do that, but I could feel his, like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, go for it, son, but, oh, God. Yeah. 
that resonates a lot with. I've been blessed to have a very supportive family. There was a lot of resistance in going through, and I still get time to time, but they're like, are you sure you don't want to just, like, go get in, like, a, a corporate job and, like, do the things? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, but blessed to have a very supportive family in that, too. And I think having that support system, whether it's family or chosen family or whatever, yeah. is so important in the creative process. Um, so, so big. Yeah. There's, um, Joe Dispenza, I'll put a link to one of his meditations, Getting Into the Space, and I'll also put a link for one of his latest books, Becoming Superhuman. Um, I also love his work, and thank you for bringing him up. Um, in the space as well. There's actually a question I raised down before that was inspired from knowing that you were with him recently. But I'm curious of all the different places that you've worked and shared and communicated. Like, who is one of the favorite people that you have worked with and like, or have like, co-created with or just shared a space with? Um, <coughs> pardon my cough. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, two people come to mind, um, and the, 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 the first is, is who I just mentioned, Joe Dispenza, and I don't, I'm not really working with him in a professional way uh, at this point. Many years ago, I was the moderator of a panel that he he spoke on with Marcy Shimoff and Howard Martin, and that's where I first met him, like 12 or 13 years ago. So we kind of kind of worked together in that for a couple hours, you know, I was moderating. But um, I just... I am so taken with his work, and his work is, is fully aligned with heart math. He talks about heart math a lot, and now when he's doing these massive week-long events, which are his main focus now, like 1,500, 2,000 people all together for six days, he does a tremendous amount of data collection of brain waves that are changing, brain scans that are changing while people are there. Uh, he, he works with heart math on also looking at the heart, and hundreds of people are monitored, their hearts are being monitored at the same time. He's been collecting over the last several years massive amounts of data on what's actually changing in the brains and hearts of people in these week-long programs. So it's like, okay, Joe, when can I come? Because I'm like all into that, as you know, because mm-hmm. I was the heart math guy for years. And uh, so I'm, I'm just very taken with his work and the brilliance of it. And everything I've talked about around heart math, to me, his work is like the next step. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's taking it in a, in even a deeper level. The other person that I would always, always want to acknowledge, too, is Dr. Sue Mortar. And Sue um, has not got the, the big name like a, a Joe Dispenza or a Greg Braden or Bruce Lipton or you know, some of the uh, kind of the, the guy, at least I, I see those three, and they do a lot together, too. They're all friends, so they're frequently doing telesummits and retreats in various places together. But Sue is another one that's brilliant and um, has a healthcare background, um, was trained in bioenergetic medicine by her father, who was one of the original developers of such ideas like mm-hmm. 70 years ago. So she kind of grew up where quantum mechanics was being talked about at the dinner table, you know. And she lived under a pyramid <laughs> in her house for years. Like wow. her homework is literally under a pyramid. Wow. And, um, and just a fascinating individual. And I've had an opportunity to attend at least a dozen of her programs. And she has, she has a, a new book out called Energy Codes. CDES Energy Codes, Dr. Sue Mortar, and she's on Facebook, and she's everyone. But um, she has a very high vibe, very um, high frequency intelligence that she op- that she's operating from. When I first heard her speak, it was at a conference in Sedona, uh, almost five years ago now. And I was performing, you know, speaking and performing, and she was speaking, 
and I was uh, listening to her, and I thought, just, I was just noticing how I felt, full body, how I felt emotionally, mentally, and noticed the frequency she was talking from was rare. Mm-hmm. And I commented that I said, "You're, you're awesome. You're, you're amazing. I, I loved your message. I loved the depth of what you're saying, but the frequency you were talking from." shows the, to me the level of work you have done in yourself to be able to be speaking from that point. She kind of looks at me like, well, you must be hot shit yourself or you wouldn't be yeah. able to would be You see me. <laughs> real recognizes real. You see me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of, that kind of thing. And I just, um, I ended up attending a post-conference workshop at that event. Uh, three months later, I joined her for a program she was leading in, in Cancun. Um, went to Cancun two more times over the next few years and many other uh, events and I've just found her work very powerful. Um, she has many, many techniques, a whole system, energy codes is the label for it and there's all these dimensions to what she means by energy codes and, and a variety of ways that people can interact to learn more about it from workshops to books to CDs to meditations to a lot of online stuff. So she's another one that I've, had a ch- I've actually had a chance to work with. Um, she, she brought me into her team uh, for a while to help with some of the marketing and social media stuff she needed done. And uh, so I've had a chance to kind of be on that side of the fence too, as well as a participant in quite a few of her programs. So she's like, namaste to her. She's, she's awesome. Human being. Awesome. Thank you. That's, uh, she's new on my radar. I'm going to dive into that. And as always, yeah. listeners know, I'll be in the show notes. Um, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, the higher we lift our frequencies, it's really fun to see you know, listening to these different episodes, playing it back, preparing for the launch that's coming up, you know, this week. Um, to see that it's, um, where it's, you know, just this continuous of us all coming together and sharing that whatever transmission we're able to provide and knowing that it is lifting others and it'll happen. That's what I was sharing in the intro episode. It's a short clip of saying, you know, you yes, you and I are co-creating this, and whenever someone tunes into this episode or any others, they're going to be sitting in circle with us. So they are sharing the space. And so in a way, it's, they're already a part of this because there is you know, no bounds of time. Like They're co-creating this with us as well and receiving that. Um, and so it's really just wonderful. And I'm so grateful for you sharing from, from your frequency and sharing with the listeners here. Um, I want to make sure before we... Cause I know us, we could continue to go for at least another hour, but I want to honor time. Um, the ability to make life being the gods and goddesses that we are in these human bodies, of being able to have that life force energy moving through us, there's so many different tools and techniques out there to stimulate that, you know, that creative life force and have it flow through us and use it. Uh, I'm curious, as someone who thrives in creativity and you're on this mission to help others to find that in themselves and express it, how do you suggest being able to fully tap into creativity and that life force energy to create in life? So about three years ago, I had been already doing this work at Stanford for 20 years, mostly heart math teaching. And they, they said, well, you, you must be into something else new. You're not doing that much with hard math anymore. You're always into something interesting. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm working on something. And I, what I meant was Renaissance Human, but I didn't say anything yet. Mm-hmm. And then I approached them and I said, I think it would be awesome to, to create a course around creativity for well-being. 
and because this was the employee wellness group of Stanford, so all the staff and faculty of Stanford and the public can all attend courses that Stanford puts out. They're super progressive, super sophisticated. There's many, 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 many things you can take there. So they said, we'd love this idea. Make a three-part course called Creativity is Your Personal Well-Being Strategy. So as I started to work on it, I started reflecting on, okay, so what did I do when I was needing to get my creativity back? And because that was my life experience, I can talk from that. And I ended up develop, I ended up saying there was five things that I did. I call them catalysts. Now, at the time, I was just doing them. <laughs> I wasn't thinking, what's the model I'm creating right now? Not at all. I was just like, am I going to make it through this <laughs> this hellish uh, health journey? So the, the five are mindfulness. I say mindfulness with heart, movement, nature, playfulness, and artistic expression. So I'm basically saying that to get out and have more creativity, number one is just to be more aware. Because sometimes of, of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, be more aware of what we're looking at. Like right now, under my big monitor, I've got three bottles of essential oils, along with a little Iron Man flash drive. Mm-hmm. And I had to take a picture of that because it's like quite a cute little scene. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's like my, that's like an example of mindfulness. It's also an example of playfulness. Mm-hmm. To get me through the dark times, I needed to remind myself of my, my inherent playful nature. Mm. I think a lot of people, especially the older we get, that we've had that part shut down and we kind of give up on it. Like, well, i got to be an adult now. i got all these responsibilities mm-hmm. now. And especially when you really do, if you can, when you really have major ones where you have debts to pay and you have mortgages to pay and you've got college educations you want to save for your kids and whatever you're doing, those are significant um, burdens that can convince you that I can't be playful because I've got to stay serious to stay on this. But then you're robbing yourself of the very energy mm-hmm. that you need to be creative. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, so playfulness, to me, being, like, super important in the whole thing. Um, so, so the mindfulness is just to become more aware, to pay attention to what those still small voices going on in their head or the little whispers of our, from our, uh, our, our higher self, whatever. Movement. To me, it's like, I'll, I'll say in a workshop, and your listeners will have to visualize this, but I'll say, most of us are in this shape. Hmm. You know, like an L with a, a, a long tail at the, at the bottom, meaning we're sitting. Many people are just sitting all the time. We're not moving. We're in a shape, physically, of uh, stagnant energy, not flowing energy. And so, sometimes it should become as no surprise to us that we are lacking in creativity because we haven't moved, mm-hmm. or we haven't moved in a meaningful way. Yeah, we've gotten up and gotten a cup of coffee, we've, 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 we've lit, lit some sage or whatever we've done, but as far as we're really moving, and allowing the, just the movement to free up the energy that we need for creativity. That, I mean, I'm a dancer, so I, I deeply know how important that is to me, mm-hmm. but in, my, in the classes that I teach around this creativity model, Everybody, I, I guide them through a meditation process, and then I guide them through a dance process. And they're already saying, okay, we got to do meditation, and now you're making us dance too? And I'm saying, yeah, I'm in charge. Uh, you signed up for this class. I, I get to do what I, I, I want to do. <laughs> but actually, you're going to love it. You're actually going to love this combination of kind of getting deep in and then having that energy come to life through your body and starting to explore your body in a new way. 
to get people moving, to get people realizing, oh yeah, there's all this wisdom in my body that I can, if I could just move it a little bit. Walking is fine, you don't have to become a dancer. Walking outside when the weather is beautiful and the sun is out and the colors are gorgeous like they are right now in New York, that's a fantastic way to do it. It's not, there doesn't have to be something dramatic. I'm a dancer, but you don't have to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so movement's a big deal. Nature, I have this whole rap about you know, I mean, we we live in nature. I, I don't care that there's a 42-story building right next to me. It's in nature. I'm in nature. I am am nature. Mm-hmm. Nature is all around us. Even in the densest city, it's not devoid of nature. Nature is still under it all and around it all and through it all. And most of us, especially in urban environments, it's very hard to appreciate that mm-hmm. because we're not out in it. You know, when I moved from the Bay Area where I had an amazing view of the San Francisco Bay and all these beautiful trees and islands, it was like I was in the thick of nature. When I lived in the San Francisco Mountains for 30 years before that, and I had redwood trees in my front yard, mm-hmm. I was in the middle of freaking amazing nature. Now, I'm not quite like that. So mm-hmm. i got to really appreciate it to get the regeneration from it. So nature, to me, is one of the most powerful catalysts of our creativity because it helps to balance us. It helps to release the tension that's blocking the creative flow. It helps to just refresh our soul, refresh our spirit. It's the muse of creativity a lot. Mm. You know, poem, poems about sunsets and about winds and trees and leaves and, you know, whatever. Uh, paintings, of course, music, whatever. Um, but being out of nature, and even when, you, when it's hard, it's fun teaching this creativity class in New York. Mm. Because, you know, I have this whole thing about how when I got to New York, I would look at a tree on 46th Street. You know, there wasn't another tree for 100 yards, and, but, but there was tons of concrete and, and steel. And I, I found myself kind of almost judging the tree, like not like trying to judge a tree, mm-hmm. but like thinking, thinking lowly of this, this, this tree. Mm-hmm. At one point, I kind of reframed the whole thing, and I thought, I wonder if in the natural world where the, the, the shrubs and the bushes and the flowers and the trees that are in cities are actually the, the, the royalty of nature. But they're the ones really doing the service work. It's one thing to be a redwood tree in a massive forest where the, there's, no, no, there's no roads for miles. Well, that's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but be, being a, a, a spindly tree on 46th Street and people yeah. not even noticing that you're alive, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they're the, the, the high beings of the natural world. Who knows? But I, I want to revere them. I want to be passing any living thing and say that's life. Yeah, that's that's nature. That's a natural thing that rejuvenates me, which therefore rejuvenates my creative spirit. Um, playfulness I've already spoken about, and the last one, artistic expression. I'm basically just saying, hey, we we. It's not that we're all supposed to become artists or poets or writers or singers or dancers, but trying things that we that we're not used to doing can turn on parts of our brain that are creative centers mm-hmm. that will then be useful in our relationships, our business development, our entrepreneurial activities, our spiritual life, whatever. So trying things that we're not used to and try that dance class that you always wanted to take and you just never, never get around to, do that sculpture class you never get around to, do that poetry writing class, it will create some new energy in your system that's yours. Mm-hmm. So why not go for it? Beautiful. I love it. That's um to say learning languages and dancing, playing instruments, pretty much like the creative things, they fully activate both hemispheres of the brain, so it's naturally going to unlock things that you weren't 
weren't ready for, uh, or you're totally ready for. You didn't even realize that you were ready to have come online. Um, beautiful. Thank you so much. It's, uh, yeah, go if if you live in a city, please go love on the trees that are around. They're like they're circulating so much oxygen. They they are the MVPs. That's a grandmother moonwalker of the Apache tribe. That's one of my teachers. And she says all the time, she says, you know, going to finding nature in cities can be tough, but, like, please make sure you do extra offerings to the trees that you do see there. Like, they're trying their best. Like, they're really, they're really struggling. So thanks for bringing up specifically the trees in the city. <laughs> We're showering them all with appreciation so deeply right now. Um, amazing. Well, this has been undoubtedly value-packed, as I knew um, it would be. Is there anything you wanted to talk about or something that's coming through right now that you want to touch on uh, to make yourself feel complete in our conversation? Well, I just really want to acknowledge you, actually. Oh. I am so grateful that you came to me that day at the assemblage and that we've stayed connected. And now as you're on another continent exploring this phase of your journey, that we're doing this today is like super fun. And I, I think this, what you're doing and how you're doing it into the hard space with this podcast is a wonderful thing and very important now. You know, I, I've been talking a lot lately about how I'm sure many of your listeners consider themselves empaths or at least feel like they're very sensitive to what's happening in the world. And I was recently in Europe, I was saying to some folks, I said, so there's a room full of empathic people. I said, Imagine what it's like to be an empath in America right now. The, le the level of horror of what's been going on, thanks to this government, the suffering that's been going on, the division, the hatred. That I mean, it's like as an empath, whew, I, mean, I don't even normally label myself that. I'm just like the census guy. <laughs> it's like man, it's hard. To, it's hard to handle. So I'm saying all. I'm saying that things like this, the, the service you're doing. You're providing for your listeners to bring things like today and, and the other people that you'll have on to help us navigate through these times, which are so rough at sometimes, so choppy. And how, how are we going to get there without heart and without, you know, sharing and connecting to one another and supporting one another through their own journey of their heart? So thank you for all you're doing in this regard. I really appreciate it, Kelly. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that. It's this is really, it doesn't feel like a labor of love to me. This is just an expression of love. You know, it's just getting to have conversations with, you know, I'm blessed where many of the guests are just friends and people that I've met along the path, and it's a very effortless where it's just, hey, let's just hop on a conversation and, uh, you know, set the intention to share it in, in the world. So I feel blessed to really be on this project and co-signing a yes to, to source on it. So... Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, Great. Amazing. Well, how can people get in touch with you or learn more of your stuff? How can people get more of Bruce Cryer right now? Okay. Well, uh, in terms of social media, I'm, I'm my name everywhere. <laughs> so Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Bruce Cryer. Just B-R-U-C-E-C-R-Y-E-R, no underscores, no dots. And um, I have a, a site that's my name, BruceCryer.com. I also have a site, RenaissanceHuman.co. That's CEO, not .com. RenaissanceHuman.co. And Facebook pages for Renaissance Human and, as well. 
So um, yeah, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. And do you have any like classes or workshops coming up in New York that people can join, or is that more in organizations? Um, in May, I'll be doing a series of two evenings. I think it's May 6th and 13th at the Open Center, which will be a combination of heart math and the creativity stuff we've talked about. Perfect. If you live in New York, get your tickets for that. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and your heart um, and your presence and all the things. I'm so grateful to have you, you know, us be connected on this path and to have taken time with us today. Absolutely. A pleasure, a total pleasure, and good luck with everything. I'm sure you'll keep me in touch of where's Kelly? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, awesome. Awesome, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Into the Heart Space. We'll see you next time. As always, be you, be true, and stay beautiful. All right, Starshines, that wraps up another episode of Into the Heart Space. As always, thank you for your presence and for your love and for being all that you are. For more information about what we're up to, if you want to explore working more with me one-on-one, -on -one, whether that's Reiki healing, learning Reiki, or exploring in the other you know, higher consciousness content that's being pumped out there, feel free to check out at heartspace.co or come over and say hello to me personally on Instagram at I am Kelly Keefe. I will see you next time. And as always, be you, be true, and stay beautiful. I love you so, so, so much. Ciao, ciao.